Would you turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3? If you don't have a Bible, let me encourage you to grab one uh, under the chairs in front of you. You can find 1 Timothy 3 on page 961, and I'll read there in a minute. If you've been with us recently, we, are, we have been in the middle of a mini-series that we um, pull out twice a year called Grace Stories. The third of the three promised will um, happen next Sunday. Uh, but we're hitting the pause button this morning to focus on uh, a special service here in the second service, uh, the installation of Josh Desch as associate pastor. And so in order to set the stage, I'd like us to look at 1 Timothy where the Apostle Paul lays out the qualifications of elders and deacons. I'll explain why that applies to Josh in a minute. And we're just focusing on the first verse. Listen carefully. These are God's words. Here is a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word that you've preserved for us. Through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you've uh, raised up uh, men and women of old who pen words that still speak powerfully to us straight from your heart. Father, so speak again for your servants are listening. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The word overseer might sound unfamiliar to us just in terms of our daily language, but it, it, the word literally means overlook or provide one who provides oversight. It's a translation from the original word in the Greek language, episkopos, from which we get our term episcopal. A church that is led by an overseer or a bishop would be another appropriate translation. There's a similar word, presbuteros, which is the origin of Presbyterian, and it's typically translated elder. In the New Testament, the way the Apostle Paul uses these terms and goes back and forth interchangeably along with the word pastor or poimen in the original makes it clear that he's talking about the same spiritual leadership role with the same responsibilities and the same qualifications, whether it's overseer or elder or pastor, uh, they're interchangeable. The focus here in verse 1 is not on the person, it's on the position, and Paul is emphasizing that serving as an elder or pastor is a noble task, something that one should aspire to, something that should um, stimulate spiritual ambition. But before we consider what spiritual ambition involves and what it doesn't involve, we need to back up a step step and and consider the origin of spiritual leadership. And I'll start with the word appointment in our outline. Um, If you are a regular here at GRC, you know I don't try to get cute with rhymes and alliterations with my outlines, but sometimes it just happens and you got to roll with it, all right? So we got three A's this morning, starting with appointment. And what I mean by appointment is not something that is on your calendar for Monday morning, but the act of appointing someone to a particular task, okay? Um, Appointing. If we turn back to the book of Acts, uh, the account of the early church, chapter 20 records Paul's last words spoken to the elders of the church from the city in Ephesus, uh, the city of Ephesus, a modern-day um, um, Turkey, right? Um, and he knows at this point, having spent 
almost three years with the church in Ephesus, having planted that church, having nurtured it and raised up its leaders, Paul knows at this point he will never see these beloved brothers and sisters ever again. Three years was more time than he had spent with any other church, and so there's this uh, incredibly um, special bond with the church at Ephesus, the Ephesians. And knowing that he'll never see them again, he doesn't leave them in a lurch. He leaves a young pastor in charge named Timothy, and he'll later write a couple of letters to Timothy, um, the first of which is our passage for today, 1 Timothy chapter 3. So these words way back in Acts chapter 20 are extremely relevant in directly connecting with our single verse for this morning. This is what Paul said in his farewell speech, Acts 20 verse 28, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Yes, it's absolutely true that Paul selected or appointed Timothy. Uh, Appointing in the New Testament is is literally ordaining. Uh, That's what that word means. Yes, Josh Desch had to pass his seminary courses to graduate, to have the degree to qualify him for pastoral ministry. Yes, he was originally examined five years ago by the Metro New York Presbytery, a rigorous process that every pastor goes through. And yes, the session nominated him to be elected by you, the members of the church, at a congregational meeting in December as an associate pastor candidate. He had to do all those things, but any man who is properly and faithfully serving a biblical church as an overseer, elder, or pastor is ultimately appointed by the Holy Spirit. He doesn't campaign for his position. He doesn't um, try to get people's attention and um, rise as the cream of the crop and then get selected. If... um, If it's of the Spirit, this is the process that the man undergoes. He examines his own motives over the years. Am I wanting to do this for the right reasons? Am I seeking my own glory, advancement, status, identity, because I want to be someone? He seeks the will of God in prayer. He brings it before the Lord. He asks for wisdom. And and thirdly, he submits himself humbly to the counsel of others. What do you think? That might be friends and family. That might be his peers. That might be spiritual mentors, those uh, to whom he looks up, asking for feedback, confirmation of self-examination of motives brought before the throne in prayer. And if it's of the Spirit, there's unity There's conviction that uh, this man's heart is pure, that there's alignment between what's inside him and what's outside calling him into this path of spiritual leadership. All of these elements are critically important, not because a man's career is in question, but because this is the church of Jesus Christ, which he bought with his own blood. She is precious. And her spiritual leadership is of critical importance because she's the bride of Christ, bought at such a price. So the Holy Spirit is the ultimate appointer to a man who truly is called to be an elder or pastor or an overseer. And yet at the same time, we would say the man himself 
properly has ambition. He aspires to the office of elder or pastor overseer. That's where we go secondly, ambition or aspiration. Here's a question uh, adults often like to ask little kids, maybe four or five years old, starting to head to school. What do you want to be when you grow up? And you know the expected answers, right? That's not just a question that adults ask little kids. The, the variation on that question that adults always ask one another is, um, uh, shows up in, in the commonplace church hallway or church picnic greeting when you're meeting somebody, or on the soccer sideline when you're standing in front of a, next to a parent that you haven't really gotten to know yet, or um, at a dinner party when you're mingling. The version is, so what do you do? What's your profession? Uh, and I'm not saying with the following that, never, that you should never ask that question. I'm not saying it's a, it's a negative question or it's a spiritually bad question. But too often, isn't it the case that underneath that question, perhaps underneath the instinct to make that the first question, the main question, uh, the, the subject of the conversation that will follow, isn't it true that too often underneath that question is the assumption that you're defined by your career? by your employment status, by your achievements, your accolades, your resume. And too often that question and what's underneath that question either, on one hand, brings fear and shame because you're not where you've wanted to be in life. You haven't climbed the ladder. What you do work-wise isn't impressive enough, and fear and shame... Uh, are the result. And maybe you hide from those kinds of social circles because you don't want to answer that question. Or, on the other hand, maybe it brings pride because you've got a lot to impress people with. You're just looking for that opportunity to, to subtly describe how high up you've climbed on that ladder, how influential you've become. Either way, fear and shame or pride are not God's design because... We are not defined in our identity by what we do. But that's so often the cultural assumption, and that leads us to these ways of naturally communicating. The label we could give to this is worldly ambition. Worldly ambition. There are all kinds of cultural messages about what a successful life should look like, right? And one area of, of community life that this affects is how it shapes the pattern of our families, especially here in North Jersey, how, how it leads to the prioritizing of how we spend our money and how we spend our time. And so, parents, isn't it true we tend to give too automatic of a yes to opportunities for our kids to develop academically, athletically, musically, socially, extracurricularly, if that were a word. And that means spiritual development gets squeezed in between those increasingly small cracks on your family calendar, or it means spiritual development gets squeezed out entirely because there's just no room. There's no time. Love to go to youth group. Can't fit that in between the lessons and the activities and the the resume building. Why? Because worldly ambition 
means buying into the assumption that successful parenting is achieved by getting your kid into a good school so that he or she can get a good job. And then you've arrived and you're done. That's the fallacy. That's the lie. That's the uh, false idol that the culture would offer you to bow down before. But what if he's 28, free of school loans, buying his own house, making it on his own, climbing the ladder, and he's a total jerk? He's self-centered. All he talks about is himself. What if she is the envy of her peers? She's the poster child for success. She's the graduate of your local high school uh, who the parents are always pointing to. Uh, You want to be like her, and yet she gives no attention to God, let alone placing her faith in Jesus for salvation. What has worldly ambition gained you? How has it profited you? Perhaps uh, a number of decades of prosperity, uh, but an eternity of alienation from God and judgment upon sin. How tragic. That's not my idea. That's Jesus. In Mark chapter 8, he says to the crowd along with his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up the cross and follow me for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? The bottom line is Jesus is saying, you've got it all backwards. You're going north when you should be going south. You're going ahead and you should be going backwards. It's completely upside down. If worldly ambition is the silent faith killer then, because it puffs up pride and it feeds a material craving for the here and now, then isn't spiritual ambition just as dangerous? Doesn't... um, The Word of God say pride comes before the fall. Doesn't the Apostle James quote Proverbs 3 when he says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble? Isn't it more godly to follow Jesus' principle when he says, the first shall be last and the last shall be first? Aspiring to spiritual leadership, having ambition, Godward, would seem to lead to the same pitfalls as worldly ambition, wouldn't you think? And yet, 1 Timothy 3.1, our text for this morning, says something different. The Apostle Paul says that the one who aspires to has ambition toward becoming an overseer, pastor, elder, desires a noble task. Here's the difference. Worldly ambition only and always aims up. More wealth, more power, greater influence, higher status, up the ladder. But spiritual ambition only and always aims down. Humility, crowding out pride, greater sacrifice, others before self, gaining by giving up, living by dying, laying down self and sacrifice in imitation of Jesus the Savior, the King. And in Paul's day, uh, mid-first century, uh, late first century, writing to Timothy here, spiritual leadership meant putting a bullseye on your back 
and knowing that you would become even greater a target of persecution. And yet, Paul says, aspiring to be an overseer, to be like Jesus, now that's a noble task. So many of us are driven by ambition in our careers and in our parenting priorities, which again fuels our financial and time decisions, how we spend, if you will. And yet so few are driven by ambition when it comes to spiritual things in the kingdom of God. Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. It's usually applied to the context of missions, hint, hint, February 10th through 12th, missions conference coming. It's rightly applied to that context of missions. It's rightly applied, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, to the exhortation for all of the people of God to engage in personal evangelism, right? But it's also relevant to the day-to-day, yes, sometimes mundane work in the local church, and specifically the work of elders and pastors to equip God's people for the works of service. Last summer in Rio, the rugby gold medal went to a world superpower, Fiji. (laughs) Not a surprise to those who follow rugby, but this cluster of islands, unless you knew where Fiji was on the globe, you'd keep spinning it and you'd never find it. It's hardly noticeable. How is Fiji a true world superpower when it comes to rugby? How are they on the top of the world rankings competing with countries with far greater resources and far greater populations? I I, I did a quick calculator thing. Um, The U.S., for example, has a population that's 360 times that of Fiji. I'm pretty sure the U.S. rugby team would get walked all over by little Fiji, though. How is that the case? The answer is this. The harvest is few, but the workers are plentiful. Because on the island of Fiji, everyone lives and breathes rugby. 8% of the entire population is registered in a league for rugby. (laughs) Um, That would be 25 million people here in the U.S. playing rugby in a league. Um, All weekend long, after school, in in summer programs. Um, But in contrast, here in the U.S., our youth look up to all kinds of different heroes, right? Basketball, football, track, swimming... Um, They have all kinds of opportunities to to pursue obscure things in schools and in recreational programs. My daughter's fencing. Where'd that come from? Um, You know, um, out of the blue in high school. And the best athletes are spread all over the place. Um, They run track. They play ball. They try out for the football team. They throw things long distances. You You can throw all kinds of things in sports. But in Fiji, there's one national obsession, rugby. That's it. The the posters on the walls of their youth are rugby players, their own rugby players. Those are the heroes. In the church, how many kids aspire to be pastors and elders from an early age? How many of you parents, when you're talking about career readiness, you could be this, you could be that, let me, let me hook you up with so-and-so, he or she has a job at the university, at the bank, at the hospital. How many of you ever talk about, someday maybe God would call you to be an overseer? 
a pastor elder. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I don't think that's dinnertime conversation much. The smartest want to get into the best schools in order to land the best jobs, to make the most money, to exert the greatest influence. The, the top of the top are not only smart in terms of IQ, they have a great EQ, emotional intelligence. They have these amazing social skills. They, they, they um, can assess people when they walk in a room. They're natural-born leaders. They, they're great communicators, and everyone funnels them into predictable paths. You know, you're the president of the class. You're going to be in the National Honor Society. You're going to be the captain of the team. You're going to get into the Ivy League school, a prominent grad program to follow, and then the elite organizations and companies of the world will come knocking on your door and cultural message, you will have arrived. And the parents are so proud, especially here in North Jersey, because that's what everything's about. The script is written, and it's rehearsed, and it's reinforced from an early age. And look, there's nothing inherently wrong with a path like that. I guess what I'm saying is, too often it's the only path. Too often that it's the path that excludes all others or puts the others in a lesser category. Well, you know, if you can't do this, I guess you could do that. (laughs) And even that, you know, pastor elders somewhere down here (laughs) under the stage, you know, where the dust is collecting. Too few of our young men consider a calling to be pastor elder, let alone aspire have ambition to spiritual leadership. Perhaps it's because this is connected to everyday following after Jesus' discipleship. Perhaps it's because too few of us in general aspire to lay down our lives like Jesus. It's because too few of us are willing to live that upside-down kingdom life Or Jesus says, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. Too few. Too few would consider the path of ministry because it's it's unattractive. It's unglamorous. It's non-lucrative. And then the Holy Spirit's appointment is rejected or ignored. Um, who are your kids' heroes? Who do you talk about? Look, I'm not saying there should be a poster of Pastor Peter or Pastor Josh in their bedrooms, okay? That's, that's not what I'm suggesting. That would be a bad thing, okay? If, if, if uh, they blew up a picture of me or Josh and, and it's in your bedroom, please tell us. We are going to show up and rip it down. Um, maybe we'll have fun with it before we rip it down. Um, but who, who do you talk about as role models? What do you set up? At home, over dinner conversation, when, when, you're, when you're getting into middle school and into high school, in Fiji, it's rugby. In the Church of Jesus Christ, shouldn't there be among the mix something of the noble task of leading Christ's church? What should the church be doing? Uh, aside from considering that question, Jesus doesn't just point out the problem of the harvest lacking workers. He gives us the answer. He says, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. The word for ask there is also translated pray, 
because when you ask heavenward, this word has a sense of urgency to it. It's pleading. It's begging. Church, what do you do about this? You get on your knees. You beg God Almighty to do something, to bring revival, to call young people to um, leadership in Christ's church. And then you consider it alongside Wall Street and med school and all the other lucrative things that we tend to funnel our kids toward. You consider it and you say, look, we don't know what God has in, in plan for you. But whatever it is, our greatest desire, isn't this what we would want every Christian parent to say? Our greatest desire is that you would know Jesus' love for you always and that you would love him with a zealous love back. Anything else, child, doesn't matter. Whether you're making millions or whether you're scraping by and mom and dad have to help you, anything else doesn't matter. Why? Because leading Christ's church means leading the bride whom he bought with his own blood. She, we, are that precious to him. Last A is assessment. The man who aspires to spiritual leadership needs to be assessed. You don't want to put anybody in the pulpit to be teaching the Bible. Uh, and, And more so than seminary education and theological astuteness, his character needs to be in line with the list of character traits Paul lists in 1 Timothy 3, verses 2 through 7. Uh, it, it's going to be up here for you. I'm not going to read it. That's a whole other sermon for another day. But let me simply say this to connect the three A's, okay? The spiritual ambition of a man is confirmed to be the Holy Spirit's appointment through the assessment of the church, those three work together. If the church says, we don't see it, it's not the Holy Spirit's appointment and the man's spiritual ambition is misdirected. There's another way for him to serve Christ's church, no doubt. Uh, but those three need to be working together. So for elders, deacons, and deaconesses here at GRC, that means um, members nominating members. We talked about that in the 10 a.m. class. Thank you, Lynn. And saying, I think he or she has spiritual gifts and they should be considered. And the nominees are invited to take the leadership training class, and the, those who finish the leadership training class are asked, do you believe you're called to serve as elder deacon or deaconess? And if they say yes, then they're examined. And it's not just head knowledge. It's an assessment of how your life aligns with the Word of God on an internal basis, as difficult as that may be to assess. For Josh, this assessment isn't a new uh, exam. It, it, it wasn't some kind of test where we said, you know, check off these 33 boxes, Josh, in your first five years of ministry, and then you'll be an associate pastor. It wasn't him accomplishing ministry goals. It's a confirmation to install him as associate pastor that we see a man who is faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, hospitable, able to teach, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, etc. And for that... We give God the glory, and we pray to Him that He would use our brother in even more powerful ways in the years to come. Let's pray. Lord, we are Your church, a blood-bought people, redeemed, though we deserve 
the very opposite. So fill us with an awe at that truth. Never let us take that for granted, Lord. Bring us to our knees hour by hour that we might affirm that you are God and there is no other, that you are the source of amazing grace, and that Jesus alone is our Savior and our King. And we want to be like Jesus in every way. Thank you, Lord, that your Spirit is doing just that and strengthening us to follow after him. We pray this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen.